Welcome to Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, with Pastor John King. You guys ready to study the Word this morning? Amen. All right, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, as you can see, verses 2 through 6. We're winding down this wonderful letter of Colossians. And so we're going to cover this portion, and Lord willing, we will finish Colossians next week. But for today, verses 2 through 6, as we turn there, just a reminder, kind of where we've been a little bit. We just finished covering a very long discussion concerning the fruit of our lives in Christ. You know, if you're a Christian, there should be, there should be some changes in your life. There should be some fruit in your life. Uh, and I know when we look at ourselves, we think, man, I'm, I'm not doing too good. I'm not hitting on much. That's a good attitude, okay? Let others tell you about it, but there should still be some fruit. Um, now, from the beginning of chapter 3, we've looked at several aspects of how we should reflect our Christ-likeness, if you will. And one aspect is the way we think and what we desire. You know, the thing that God sees every single bit of. This means pursuing His glory, both now in worship and service to him and directing our thoughts to his promises for the future. You know, it doesn't take long in this world to realize that the world is not going to let us, uh, you know, it's great. We live in a great place. We live in a great country. Many of us have a very uh, fruitful lives. We have a lot of things provided for us, but it doesn't take long to realize that uh, the promises of this world just never do really deliver. I mean, we may spend our entire lives chasing them, but we, they do not deliver. But our Lord Jesus Christ has a promise for us, and we can take that to the bank. And so when this starts to, to shape our character, uh, this, this reflecting and thinking about the things of the Lord, it starts to help us by the power of the Holy Spirit to put off our old sinful habits. You know, that, this old body, this flesh is still going to be here to haunt us the rest of our lives here on earth. But we can put off by the power of the Holy Spirit things like lust and greed and evil desire and fornication. And we can replace them with the Christian virtues. And, you know, this should be many of us, this is our, one of our life verses. This is something that we should have in our hearts. Galatians 5, and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's, that's when your life is being changed. That's the fruit of your life. And this then leads us further on to a life that's consistently, you know, not perfectly, but consistently ruled by God's peace. That's controlled by His Word and His truth. And it's done in the name of Jesus. And we've been talking about these family relationships and our work environment where people, you know, the real you gets seen a lot more than in the social scene. And so we, we want to move toward that. But, you know, here today, now we're going to talk about our communication. We're going to center in on our communication. Uh, he's going to examine the fruit of our lives in our communication with God, which is prayer. And then we're going to look at our evangelism, our communication with others, how we speak to others. Uh, how should my prayer life and my witness speak of the completeness that I now have in Christ, if I truly believe that? Uh, how can I, to put it another way, how can I improve my communication with God and people? We should always look to want to do that. We should always look to want to improve our 
communication. Now, we all know that a failure to communicate is very common and problematic, right? You know, not talking, you know, I'm not talking right now, or maybe talking too much, or talking at someone, or talking past someone, or trying to talk above others and look down on them, and so on. You know, that's a lot of times, unfortunately, how we are communicated to, and sometimes we communicate to others. But our speech towards others matters. It matters a lot. It matters to the Lord. It matters to others around us. You know the old playground saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt. You guys didn't get that one. Okay. Uh, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a lie. That's not true. Yeah, that's an amen. You don't even know what we're saying here. Because our words can hurt others. And they also do another thing about how our words come out. It reveals our true self, doesn't it? Now, Jesus, he rebuked the Pharisees. You know, they, they were spreading lies about him. They were calling him as, you know, he was controlled by the devil. They were plotting to kill him. And of course, he knew all this stuff. And he spoke to the Pharisees in the parable of the tree. You recall in Matthew 12, 33 through 37. He says, either make a tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. And then he, he really gets in them. He says, brood of vipers. How can you, being evil, speak evil things? you imagine calling these august religious men standing in this great temple and him simply saying, you brood of vipers? My goodness gracious, that's our Lord. He knows how to have righteous anger, doesn't he? He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's pause for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, before we read it, we just want to ask that you go before us in our time today, this short passage. Lord, would you please speak to us through your word? Would you please once again, guide our steps. Lord, we've come here to hear what you have to say, to, to bring your word into the public space, if you will, here in our fellowship. And we're, we're not hiding anything, Lord. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would just take away any hardness of heart we may have, any stubbornness in our own soul. And Lord, you would work to soften us and control us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Teach us your word, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So look at our passage for today. It says, Paul says here, he says in verse 2 of uh, chapter 4, he says, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us, Paul's, he puts a prayer request in, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom to, towards those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so we start in verses 2 and 4. Uh, Paul's going to dial in or you know, really look at our communication with God, which really speaks to our prayer life. 
And so we are, we've heard this many times before, you and I are to continually occupy ourselves with prayer. We are to devote ourselves to persistent prayer. It's a dialogue. It's a continuous dialogue that goes on between you and, and, and I and the Lord. Not you and I, but you and the Lord. Me and the Lord. He says, continue earnestly. That means to, uh, continue means to give constant attention to something. And earnestly, uh, you know, NIV says, devote yourselves to prayer. Simply. It's very simple. And this is communication or prayer with God. Now, if, if your only frame of reference for prayer is on your knees before the Lord in that quiet time or the family altar, and that's your only reference for prayer, and that's the only place prayer can take place, Paul's like, no, you know, obviously you don't spend all your waking hours on your knees. Now, that's a place to be. That's a place to be, but it's a lot of times, really, it's the attitude of our heart, isn't it? So what does it look like? I mean, are we supposed to be walking around this world always talking to ourselves so that everybody can hear? Uh, no, no. That's a good way to get yourself locked out of places or locked in, whatever you want to say. I mean, not if you want people to be able to relate to you and to have a conversation with you if you're constantly always going around mumbling and praying to the Lord. But you see, God has created us and he has wired us with the amazing mental capacity and the power of the Holy Spirit within us to be able to walk and chew gum when it comes to talking to God. That's just a simple fact. And let me prove that. I, I like what this, uh, this old Quaker named Thomas Kelly said. He said, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and, and adoration, songs of worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. It's possible. We often you know, get so overwhelmed with whatever it is that is overwhelming us, whether it's a giant or, you know, a mountain that's come upon us. But I would submit to you, and I think you know that it's true, that no matter what's going on in your life, you still have the option to pray to the Lord. You have the ability to do what Paul's asking us to do. Warren Wiersbe put it this way. He said, this is not to suggest that God is reluctant to answer our prayer. And this is a constant, you know, you're constantly talking, Lord, <laughs> you know, you're, I don't want to put words in your mouth. You know how it is, the conversation you have with the Lord. And God is not uh, reluctant to answer prayer and that we can sort of wear him out, uh, he says, by our praying. You can't do it. In fact, quite the opposite is true. God enjoys answering our prayers. But he sometimes delays the answer. Why? To increase our faith and devotion and to accomplish his purposes at the right time. You see, it's his will that things happen in our life. God's delays are not always God's denials. That's a good saying. You've probably heard that before. And as we continue in prayer, our own hearts are prepared for the answer God will give. And that's the amazing thing about it. He's working, even though he's not maybe answering exactly what you want at that time. He's preparing you for the answer that's coming. And so what we find, we find ourselves growing in grace even before the answer comes. 
You know, we're not sitting on the edge of our seat waiting for God to make a move and answer our prayers before we can experience his grace and his power in our lives. So he says we are to be persistent in prayer. And then he talks about being watchful in prayer. Notice he says the manner. You're keeping alert and you're doing it with thanksgiving. Again, you're, you're able to mentally do these things all at the same time simultaneously. He says being vigilant in prayer. Gregorio, to be watchful. This is a spiritual alertness. And you say, well, what am I being watchful for? I'm glad you asked. Temptation, spiritual drowsiness. That's what Jesus addressed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, 38. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's what the Lord said, and we know that to be true. We're also watchful for the wiles of the devil. You know, his fiery darts that come at us. That, that thought, that accusation, you know that's coming from him. Ephesians 6.16 talks about it. We also know that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And that's you and I. He, he likes little sheep. He likes sheep to eat and destroy. We also should be vigilant and watchful for the needs of others. This will really speak to our hearts. Ephesians 6.18, Paul said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication. For who? All the saints. For others. For the needs of others. Another thing we should keep in mind that when we pray to the Lord, it should be from the heart. It should not be a dull repetition. Just saying the same thing over and over again. Hey, say it like you mean it. Okay, if you're in a group setting and you're reciting the Lord's Prayer or going through a catechism, let's say, say it like you mean it. Believe in it. Put some fire into it. Psalm 141, 2 says, let my prayer be set before you as incense. You know, something's burning, okay? Something's burning before the Lord. And lifting up my hands as the evening sacrifice. That's your prayers. That's the incense that the Lord loves to smell. He loves to hear and see our prayers. Not routine, not rote repetition. So we're to pray persistently, we're to pray watchfully, we're to pray with also with thankfulness. We're to pray thanksgiving. We, we said it uh, several weeks back about a great way to start prayer is first of all with thankfulness and adoration. You know, he knows what's going on in your life, but there's something that changes. Now I know it's not always like that. I know that sometimes you come before the Lord and you groan. Okay, you groan before the Lord. You don't have words to describe it, but you're speaking to the Lord. Maybe you have a prayer language. But oftentimes when you come before the Lord, we should come with thanksgiving. And, you know, Colossians 3.15 said it earlier, chapter uh, 3, verse 15. It says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are also called to one body and be thankful you can't keep the thankfulness out of that. Paul commands the Colossians to express gratitude for the things they have and the people in their lives. 
What does gratitude do for you? One writer put it this way. Gratitude is a safeguard against grumbling and complaining. I mean, if you're giving thanks and then you're grumbling at the same time, well, you got a problem. We, we, we have, maybe they have some medicine for that. You should give thankfulness to the Lord and that should prevent that grumbling. Because grumbling and complaining is a real quick way to ruin a community. It's a great, it's a great way to ruin a family. It's a great way to destroy a day. And we're all guilty of it. And if you're in a position of influence and you become one who grumbles and complains, that spreads. You know, remembering God's goodness, because you can say, well, look, I'm, you don't, Pastor John, you don't realize what I'm going through right now. I'm not really thankful for the situation I've been placed in. You didn't get that phone call that I just got from the doctor. You didn't have that spouse that said those things to me. So I'm not really thankful right now. And I'm just being honest, right? Well, sometimes we need to remember God's goodness. You know, we sing that song, all my life, you have been faithful. And we talk about God's goodness chasing us. And sometimes we just need to appropriate it. Because remembering God's goodness is a great way to be thankful, isn't it? Joshua 4, we had this wonderful account when uh, Joshua was leading, uh, they, they were taking the Ark of the Covenant through the Jordan River. And that story, you remember how the Lord parted the sea and they placed the stones, you know, the stones on the river. There were 12 stones. And it says, uh, Joshua 4:18 that the soles of the priest's feet touched the dry land as they crossed the river. God commanded that the stones later be placed as a memorial. He, he, he commanded that he bring those stones out. And Joshua 4, 19 through 24, it says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? What are these stones doing here? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you and crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. And then he says, he goes on and said, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. And so it's a memorial stone. The things that the Lord has done in your life are memorial stones. Whatever he's delivered you from, Bring them out. Bring them to mind. And know that all, you know, the reason why we witness is because of verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so we're to be thankful and persistent. We're to be on watch. We're also to bring specific prayers to the Lord. Look at verse 3. He says, meanwhile, praying also for us. In other words, at the same time, again, we can do many things at the same time. And here's the apostle's prayer request. You know, the apostle Paul is asking the church to pray for him. He's done that many times. And he is specific. He says that God would open to us a door for the word. He's asking them to furnish an opportunity the opportunity to do something for the Lord. 
Paul talked about opening doors in many times. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, he says, I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. You know, that's a great prayer that we would pray for one another, when, especially when we're going out on a mission, if you will, when we're going to run into people who are unsaved, because we're going to talk here in a minute about those on the outside. And so we should really put that in our hearts this week to pray that the Lord would open doors for you and I, for the word of God. And the door comes open and notice he says to speak the mystery of Christ. Now, why was he calling it a mystery? The mystery of Christ is not a mystery to us. But remember, 2,000 years ago, Paul had the honor and the privilege of revealing to the entire world at that time about Jesus Christ and the plan that he had. And how Jesus and God's plan of redemption wasn't just for the nation Israel, but it was for all of the Gentiles. Everyone in the known world, everyone all around, every, no matter where you came from, all things have been laid bare. Neither Greek nor Jew nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female. Everyone can receive the gospel. And that was a mystery up to that point. He said, pray for a door for the mystery of Christ that I am also, for which I am also in chains. The reason why he was in jail was because of the work he did in proclaiming the gospel. But we know Paul's letters. We're still reading them. He wrote them in prison. He distrib they distributed them around. You know, we're going to read about the deliverer, Tychius, and those. We're still reading those words. And he did it while he was in jail. And you think he couldn't do anything. His faithful preaching of the gospel. How much more the freedom that we, you and I have to share. Note the specific nature of Paul's request. In James 4, we read in chapter uh, verse 2 at the end, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You know, sometimes our prayers can be just so blah, so general. Lord, I pray I have a good day today. Okay. It's not that the Lord's not hearing you, but he's calling us to have specific prayers. Paul's example, you know, that he's putting us on mission. He has a plan for our lives. Finally, cooperative prayer. Now this is where we can get, it can get really dangerous, okay? When you come before the Lord and you ask him to do a work and then you commit yourself to be cooperative in how he answers. Look, at, look what he says in verse 4. He's praying that the door would be opened, that the mystery would be presented, and that I would make it manifest. In other words, that I would be able to communicate this gospel message in a clear and concise manner and have the willingness to be used by God to carry it out. He says, as I ought to speak. Now we think of that word ought, it's sort of like, you know, optional. I, I ought to do that. I ought to do this. Yeah, I really ought to do that. Well, the truth is, Ought is a necessity, it's a command, it's a duty, and it's an obligation. The Bible, all through the New Testament especially, for Christians, the things we ought to do, these are our obligations. Uh, we ought to walk in the newness of life. We ought to walk after the Spirit. We are to walk in honesty, by faith, in good works. We are to walk in love, and in wisdom, and truth. After the commandments of the Lord. 
Not after the flesh, not after the manner of men, not in craftiness, not by sight, not by vanity, and not disorderly. Ought is not an option, in other words, that we should make the gospel clear to everyone God gives us the opportunity to speak to. Paul's request was that he would have the ability for clear communication of the gospel. And listen, not just a high-sounding high vocabulary. Um, vocabulary is good. Having words, understanding the meaning of our language and other languages is good. But it can also be a disguise. R.C. Sproul once said this. He goes, quote, he's kind of being sarcastic. He goes, I use big words to disguise my ignorance. <laughs> big words are great for that. If I can use a word that nobody understands, well, chances are people would, will think that at least I understand what I'm talking about, even if they don't. So, I mean, you know, high-sounding words can, uh, can really, uh, in some cases, just be a, uh, a foil for our lack of understanding. And so, you know, this, for this part of today's message, we, we've seen that uh, prayer or communication with God, it's what we've been created for. You know, we, we see created for worship. You guys know Genesis 1.26, that God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. You know, we're wired. You and I are wired for constant communication with God. And let this be a help to you and I when somebody tries to ratchet up the concerns about artificial intelligence. You can be reading three different books at a time, making coffee, cooking breakfast, letting the dog out, putting in a load of laundry, studying for a message, preparing to go to work, take it. You can do all those things. A single robot could never do all those things. It's never going to be able to. And you could be praying to the Lord at that time. So don't let the, the world with this silly AI stuff overwhelm you. Because God created us in his image and in his likeness. That means we have um, the, moral, the mental and the moral capacity to do amazing things for the Lord. But it's in his name and under his power because he's the creator. Amen? Amen. And so we talked about that, that we're wired. We also said thankfulness based on his goodness. You know, what, are, what am I thankful for? What are you thankful for? Do you sometimes access the memorial stones of your life before him? You know, I've met it, said it many times about my journals. I'm probably boring you with that. My, my journey towards God, my, the seeds that were sown in my life. But they mean something. And I can bring them to mind to know that the Lord is with me and he was faithful then. He's going to be faithful now, whatever I'm going through. So don't forget those memorial stones. You see, God wants us to have a full communication with him. Colossians 2, 8 and 10. Paul says, Be, beware. We said this earlier as we studied this book or this letter. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. You know, don't be sold short. We said that earlier. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let's not forget that. Kent Hughes asked the question, is your communication with God full? 
Is your communication with God full? If not, it is because you are not appropriating his fullness. If your life falls short, dip your cup in now, he writes, when your heart is overflowing. Yeah, do it while you know, things are going good. It will flow up to God in communication, alert and with an attitude of thanksgiving. So no matter where we are, we should be able to enjoy the fullness of God's prayer life. A, prayer, a full prayer life is what we're talking about. Next, we're going we're gonna to talk about communication with people, you know, our public life. Now look, maybe, perhaps, just as a slight chance that you've been enjoying a little bit of our Bible study just so far. I mean, what true Christian doesn't want to cultivate and enjoy a vibrant and a thankful, a continuous and a full communication with God? Raise your hand if you don't want that. But now, Paul has to bring people into the conversation. Man. Here we go. He says, verse 5 and 6, Walk in wisdom to those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Here Paul is exhorting us to continually look for ways to witness for Christ. And we do it by the way we live and the way we speak, our speech, the things we say. Your life, my life, should reveal Christ and his character to non-believers. Verse 5 says, walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside. When we talk about your walk, that's how you conduct yourself. That's your, that's your regulation, how you, how you roll. Okay, It's how you roll through life, whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. And he says, you shall walk or regulate or conduct yourself in wisdom. In wisdom. Do you pay your bills on time? Do you show up on time? Do you keep your promises to your friends and neighbors, especially those on the outside? It should be for everybody. How would your neighbor describe you? Have you ever had a security? Have you ever had a secret clearance? You know, they go to neighbors, <laughs> and they're going to they're going to ask about your character, and you don't get to know what they said, or sometimes you find out. But how would your neighbors describe you? Would they speak well of me? Would they speak well of you in general? We know we're not perfect. So we're talking about the human audience. He says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, non-believers. So we need to be very careful. And I, you know, we're all guilty of not being wise and not being careful how we uh, walk before and the things we say to our unbelieving friends and acquaintances. And then Paul, he says, so he gives you those basics, and he says, but it's an urgent thing, right? Because your chance, you know, sometimes your time with somebody is very short. And so he says, redeeming the time. In other words, making the most of every opportunity. Not only walking before them, but also talking with them about Jesus. Now this, this command brings us into a very uh, sudden reminder of our current culture wars. We know that there is considerable and increasing opposition to the Christian faith. And that many of us have never experienced in our lifetimes. Why are we leaving, Christians leaving the public school system? You know, why are we retreating? Well, because of the opposition. 
and because of the things that they're teaching our kids. And so you and I, we've had some very hard lessons, especially about what to say or what not to say. If you've been on social media, if you've been on Facebook for 20 years or however long it's been out, you can remember that some of the things you said that you will no longer say anymore. Because you realize that, hey, this isn't just a bunch of my friends. In fact, <laughs> a bunch of you guys aren't really my friends at all, right? What I put out there. And so some of us, you know, some, some people knew what it was going to be going in. Our kids maybe, perhaps, or grandkids. But a lot of us older, uh, I use that term light, lightly and with grace. We had no idea what we were stepping into with the social media world. Um, whether it's fair or not, the things we say on social media, you and I can lose our good name and reputation in a matter of seconds. You know, we could be one click away of having our reputation, especially if you're in business or you're trying to move forward in your career as a young professional or whoever you are, you can have your, uh, your reputation destroyed. And if you've in fact said something wrong, you can't retract that digital record. It's there forever. And it could come back to haunt you decades later. They're using it as a weapon. Sometimes Christians fall into extremes. You say, no, we don't. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We can be isolated in our own communities. We can have very little contact with outsiders. You know, you've heard the poll, a person gets saved and within seven years they have no secular friends. They have no unsaved friends. They have some relatives that they put up with once or twice a year. So we can become very isolated from our communities, but that's not what Paul's saying for us to do. And less likely, the other extreme, we can become so outspoken that our speech becomes associated with those who say things to the unsaved, like, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to turn and burn. You're going to fry like a French fry. You're going to burn in hell for the rest of your, you know, big sign, okay, out there yelling at people with your gospel. So we can go either way. But is it biblical? The answer is no, it's not. It's not making the most of your opportunity and redeeming the time. Paul says in verse 6 that your speech should always exhibit grace. Not sometimes, always, at all times. Our speech to the unsaved people in this world should always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. James 3, 6 and 10, you know, there's really no need to answer why, but here's an answer why we must watch our tongue. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and it sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth we proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Amen. I mean, you know, James, whew. you better be ready when you read in James's letters, in his letter. You better be ready for it, because he's going to get you. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to your heart. You know, even when the Lord was dealing with sin, he spoke words of grace. Uh, 
One writer put it this way, that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke with grace on his lips. How do we know? Well, it says that when he spoke, it says in Luke 4.22, I don't have a slide, it says, and all wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth. Everyone there. Among the many statements about Jesus Christ, Psalm 45, we read from that, grace is poured out unto thy lips. Even when our Lord was dealing with sin, he spoke words of grace. Yes, he was direct. Yes, he did overturn the tables. He had righteous anger. Yes, he did tell those religious people who should have known better that they were vipers, a brood of vipers. He spoke the truth. But it was still seasoned with grace and with salt. You see, it's not just, oh, lovey-dovey, nice and kind words all the time. That's not really what we're trying to say. Seasoned with salt. In other words, made ready, pleasant, and wholesome. Uh, with salt means wisdom and grace exhibited in speech. In the ancient world, salt was used to preserve food and enhance flavor. And so it's conversation that is seasoned with salt because what does it do? It's uplifting. And classical writers, those of you studying classics and classical writers, salt expressed the wit with which conversation was flavored. You know, it's okay to have a little bit of a sense of humor when you speak to others, especially even the things of the Lord. Grace and salt, or wit and sense, it makes an ideal combination, one writer put it. So, speech that is tasteful, it's useful as a preservative, seasoned with salt, spoken with grace. It's also speech, and this is important, that is sensitive to the needs of the moment. You know, we really need to understand where we are in a conversation, in the situation we're in, before we say something. We need to be sensitive. It says that you, know, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. The needs of the moment. Having grace and wisdom gives you the ability to answer the needs of every situation as it's fit, fittingly. Psalm or Proverbs 25, 11, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. It fits right in there. The Lord is often, you guys know this, He's often giving us opportunities when we least expect it. I recently had the opportunity to sit and have lunch with some guys that I have known for a long, long time. I used to work with them on a, on a daily basis in my previous life, if you will. And they know of my faith, and I, I know of theirs. Uh, and of course, the fact that I'm now a local pastor, they know that, of course. They still invited me to lunch. They felt sorry for me. They said, you must not have any more friends. They joke. We joke, see? Grace, salty. I was expecting our normal conversation this last week. You know, it's been a while, so we're catching up. How's the job? How's the family? One of the guys sitting with us was new to the area. And I was, uh, you know, blessed to have the opportunity to meet him and get to know his background. It's always interesting when you can say, you know, hey, sir, it's nice to meet you. What are, his name is uh, Will. Tell me, tell me about your, your background. You know, tell me, what, tell me some more about you. And people, of course, love to talk about themselves, but we all do. And at a certain point in our group discussion, though, this was sort of happening in a group setting, uh, the, dis the subject of the Bible came up, you know, it always comes up, and uh, it was very casual and, and somewhat, you know, funny, 
You know, they were, so I think somebody was making fun of Will for he's, he's seeking. This guy is seeking the Lord and he's seeking understanding. And so one of the guys made a joke. Yeah, he went and got a Bible. He went and got a King James Version. <laughs> it's like, okay. you know, so. But here's what I want to say. My new acquaintance was eager to share directly with me that he was searching for answers. You know, God, sometimes he sets the table. He described himself as sort of a curious agnostic. But that he struggled with trusting and understanding the Bible. I was given the opportunity to gently prod him with the need for a person to have the power of the Holy Spirit within them in order to understand and trust God's word. And I quickly offered to share some resources with him so that he could examine the faith for himself. And again, you know, this is, you know, I'm not, we're fishing, okay? We're fishing for men, okay? I I could have said, sinner, you're going to burn, right? Die, burn, fry like a French fry unless you get to know Jesus right now. I mean, you know, there are people that are gifted under that way. I I haven't met any of them yet, but in any event. um, But I offered to share some resources with him. We shared our contact information. now, he, this is how, you know, this, was, this wasn't, uh, he's serious. Because I was, you know, talking with the other guys. He goes, hey, don't forget to send me a text, you know, return text. He really wants to know. He really wants to know about God and God's word. And um, so I shared contact information. I, I sent him an online Bible app. I sent him a podcast sermon series. All the tools that you and I have available to us to share with others. And I, of course, invited him to our upcoming men's fellowship, uh, you know, and look, and he thanked me. And I've been praying for him ever since that day. And I would ask you to pray for this man, Will. And I, you guys know what it's like. You tell somebody something, you, they ask you a question about the Lord. They even seem eager. They want to, you know, maybe they might say, oh, I'm coming to church next Sunday. You never see him again. But, you know, the thing is, God gives us opportunities. And we're, we're to, to plant those seeds. Because who knows what's going to happen in this guy's life. The work of the Lord in this man's life will create those memorial stones that he'll be able to reach back on. And he'll be able to say, you know, I, I was sitting at a Mexican restaurant with this crazy guy. He used to be Coast Guard. Now he's a pastor. What, ha- what happened there? We don't know. But, uh, you know, and so as I was preparing for our message today, I was struck by the simplicity of Paul's command. We are to be ready and available for God to use us in our communication with those on the outside. That's, that's, where, that's why I wanted to share that with you. And it's the Lord's work. 1 Peter 3.15, this is a great verse if you're taking notes, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. You know, as we've been saying, with grace, with salt. As we start to wrap up today, um, I don't need to inform you, and I said it earlier, just how divided our, and divisive our culture and society has become. There isn't a week that goes by that some new level of insanity presents itself to you. And so these are very challenging passages for you and I, aren't they? I mean, everybody now knows where the opposing side stands, right? On issues, whether it's politics, you know, split down the middle, half of America this and half of America that direction. But we've allowed the narrative, the satanic narrative, to replace the conversation 
many places, haven't we? And so the battle lines are drawn, the opposing views get lobbed back and forth, mainly through social media, because that's a safe place, right? I can say anything I want on social media without having to face you face to face. Yet the topics are important. They are important. And they need to be addressed in the public square. We, we will say that abortion is murder. We will stand up for that. We will say that child trafficking is murderous and, and wrong and cruel. We will let people know. But we're called to do it in a way that God calls us to do it. And that our words would be seasoned with grace. And, you know, I guess I just want to encourage you guys. Don't give up. Because that's what's happening. Right? You're giving up. I'm, I give up some, so many times. The Lord wants to use you for his kingdom work, not just in the church and in the home, but to those on the outside. And so it really comes back to the two greatest commandments. Mark 12, 30 and 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And so we're good at that. You know, oftentimes we're very good at that. And that's a good thing. We're growing in his grace as a church family. We're growing in his word. We have sweet fellowship together. We have prayer. We're getting to know one another better as the years go by. But notice uh, he says in verse 31 that the second is like it. Pastor Sandy Adams recently gave a great message down at a conference we all attended about the second twin, right? And, you know, they're identical. You know, the, the, the command, the first command is identical to the second one. That twin's just hiding behind it, the way he put it. If anybody's interested, I'll send you the link. It's a great message. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these, Jesus said. And it's hard when we find ourselves at odds with culture, isn't it? A culture that has tried to drive us out of the public schools and is being successful in some cases. A culture uh, that wants to drive us out of the public square. And they've long since left us in the entertainment industry, haven't they? In many ways. Although we've got a lot of good Christian movies coming back through. You see, there's a lot of good stuff to watch, even despite. You just have to be very wise. But we aren't to give up. We're to wisely redeem the time that you and I have been given. Why are we here? At this time, in history, in this country, why are we here? Well, we're here to redeem the time that when we speak, we speak with grace. We are to speak not bitterly and angrily and ugly and grumpy all the time. We are to be salty and savory in the things we say, not dull and sanctimonious, okay? That's what drove a lot of people away from the church. That's what led to the great revival in the early 70s with the hippies. You know, they kind of let them in because they were being pushed away by the uh, church. The move of the Spirit was taking place and we need to be ready. Also, our speech needs to be sensitive. It's not, our speech to others is not to be driven by personal agenda. It needs to be Spirit-led. As the worship team gets ready, let's just kind of review very quickly. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm running a little bit long today, but what are we to know? Well, God wired us for communication. And that is prayer with God and speech with others. What are we to do? We are to put a premium on our, on our prayer life. 
We need to be well thought of and wise toward those in the world. It may result in persecution. And it won't always go the way we plan. But it may just happen the way you least expect it. Amen? Well, Heavenly Father, we know your word says that uh, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And that he who wins souls is wise. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us that heart of communication. Starting with our communication to you and with you, Lord God. Thank you that you've made it possible for us to do more than one thing. Uh, We're not robots. We're not artificially intelligent. We are divinely made in your image. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have the fullness of communication available to us. And Lord, help us to put on that understanding as we come to speak with others. Give us those opportunities. Prepare our hearts to speak with others with grace, with truth, and with love. As we conclude our service today, get ready for our time of fellowship together. Lord, I simply ask that you would Bless these songs that we're going to sing, this final song that we're going to sing. May it mean something in our hearts. Stir the passion in our hearts, Lord, to sing unto you. We pray this now in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. Stand and worship the Lord together. For you know all I do not know.
Your plan is greater than my own. You are always good. Your way leads me to victory. Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless. <laughs>